0: We have to go back! Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Flashback Flix Retro Movie Podcast. I'm Ricky. I'm Grayson. And we're going to switch it up a little bit today because <gasps> we are going to look into the distant future known
1: as 1999. Bat- way back. Way-, <laughs> way, way back. I was thinking like back before uh New Year's Eve glasses really made sense. <laughs> we had we had 10 good years of really solid New Year's Eve glasses. Oh yeah. Yeah, and
0: then 99 it's just like all hanging in your face. It's hard to talk oh, yeah. and
1: no. It's going to be a dying business for about another 100 years.
0: <laughs> it really is. Uh, we're reviewing The Iron Giants. Now you might be thinking we're doing this because of Ready Player 1 and that one scene in the trailer. Uh guys, yeah, come
1: on. You give us some credit. Yeah,
0: give us a week at least before we try to do something on that. No, we're oh, doing this
1: because Pacific Rim is out and oh, I legit thought it was the Ready Player 1 thing. <laughs>
0: Well, it's, it's not,
1: not the Ready Player One thing. That's true. I also realized that my New Year's Eve bit doesn't make any sense. It's going to be a thousand years before it, <laughs> because we're just going to keep counting up in that second digit. So, year 3000, invest now.
0: <laughs> it's never too late to invest in New Year's mm. Eve glasses.
1: <laughs> but yes, Pacific Rim, I had no idea.
0: Yeah, no, it's uh, because, you know, giant fighting robots. This giant robot that doesn't want to fight. I just, when I'm coming up with, when we are coming up with what to program, a lot of it is how clever do I think we are?
1: No, I'm pretty sure I just do what I'm told. (laughs) Uh, This is your master plan. I... I am the rat in your race. And I had no idea that I was going for Pacific Rim-shaped cheese. Well, <laughs> I lost the metaphor.
0: <laughs> so, The Iron Giant is a movie directed by Brad Bird and based on a book of a similar-ish name. We'll get to that in a second. It is a film that was released by Warner Brothers. And it's about a giant robot who lands on Earth in 1957 And a boy named Hogarth, who befriends him. Hogarth tries to hide the giant from the public, uh, particularly due to the Cold War era paranoia, like you do in 1957. That happens. Yeah. Especially a persistent government agent named Kent Mansley. But the giant has a very mysterious past of his own. And if things get out, the Cold War... May just go hot. Okay, listen, guys, you didn't need to. Whoa, they said that? They said that.
1: Th- it was a tense time for people. You can't do news headline transitions. Cold War I- goes hot. <laughs> Says me.
0: Get this guy to a newspaper. Um, The movie is based off of the novel called the iron man marvel See someone oh. published in 1968 uh ted hughes wrote this to comfort his children after his wife sylvia plath uh committed suicide Whoa. so basically the biggest difference between the novel and the movie is um a couple of things so the novel tells the story of uh Iron giant who befriends a young boy and becomes the world's most unlikely hero. Uh, but that's pretty much where the similarities between the novel and the film end. Uh, when Hogarth first encounters the giant, he tricks him into falling into a giant pit and buries him alive. Like you do. Kids are pretty mean. (laughs) Yeah, they can be terrible. Uh, and so then the robot, eventually comes back and saves the planet from an extraterrestrial invader dubbed Space Bat Angel Dragon. What what? Yep, that's what that's what it was. It was a Space Bat Angel Dragon. Um and that alien reveals that it was drawn to the planet by the warfare that witnessed there. And so that's that's that. That's huh. That's what the novel is about. Good page Turner. Um, Sounds really interesting. So the movie was made for a relatively small budget. Uh, It was made for about $70 million and actually made in half the time most traditional um, 2D animation takes. It was made in about two years. Um, It was released in 1999 and was a
1: box office flop. It only made $31 million worldwide. That's crazy because I feel like when it came out tons of people were talking about it but I fall into that camp I didn't see it until this like I just never and but I knew it was a respected film I just didn't know financially it didn't do super well
0: well here's the here's where it gets really interesting at least for me raises nerd glasses so the movie was critically acclaimed but Warner Brothers did almost no advertising. For it because um Warner Brothers at the time really kind of lost its steam when it came to animated movies because uh the movie Quest for Camelot bombed in the box office and they were reluctant to spend money on advertising. Um, especially when Brad Bird really wanted to get you know the movie publicized. They were also going up against uh Tarzan, which had like a full year and like years to lead in and get people excited for the movie. Whereas Brad Bird recalls going to the movie theater, not even seeing a marquee title for Iron Giant, and literally seeing the Show Times just handwritten on a little cardboard display in the corner.
1: Well, you know, uh, a hand-drawn movie. Hand drawn <laughs> showtimes.
0: Yep. Yeah. Just he
1: Dems th- the rules. <laughs> Brad,
0: the movie had a big life after its theatrical release. So Ted Turner of, you know, Turner Broadcasting of
1: Timmy Turner.
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> yep. One and the same. Uh, Turner he's... and Hooch. Sorry. <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> he saw the film on an in-flight movie and declared it as one of the best films he had ever seen. Yet one of the worst flights he had ever <laughs> taken. Lost his luggage. So he bought the television rights for the film, which were sold to Cartoon Network and TNT for $3 million, which started the infamous 24-hour marathon during Thanksgiving weekend in the early 2000s of playing nothing but the Iron Giant. Um, And that is really what opened it up to its cult classic uh, following. People then got to see the Iron Giant in all of its glory. And um, and ever since then, uh, Warner Brothers has since apologized and really, really pushed this movie out um, and was promoting it as much as they could, because I think uh, an official quote was our bad.
1: (laughs) They worked on that statement all night. They really did. Yeah. So
0: uh, the giant then uh, was released to VHS, which had a nice little tiny toy iron giant which can also be found in the uh ultimate edition i believe it's called or superior edition it, it's some kind of edition um it was released to laserdisc so that's how you really know it was good oh, um and good. dvd
1: yeah uh having the uh deluxe edition on laser disc it's actually just called the irony giant <laughs> so they didn't really get it till like 10 years later
0: yeah no the yeah. the actual laser disc will fit inside of a iron giant
1: Our- <laughs> <laughs> what that would have been a crazy feature for the giant to have <laughs> cuz that means they have laser discs on his planet mm-hmm Makes sense to me. Uh, Before
0: we get into our reactions, I'm going to give you guys a couple of more fun facts. So, uh, to create the giant, this is like a 2D animated film, and you might think that the giant is 2D animated, but you would be incorrect. A new rendering software was created specifically for the CGI giant to give him small imperfections, including like little wavy like, hand-drawn-looking lines, so he could better blend in with the 2D characters. And the first choice for the voice of the giant was Peter Cullen. Now, for those of you who don't know that, you might better know him as Optimus Prime. Oh, he certainly has a (laughs) type. But Vin Diesel got the role because... Look at him. No, um, he got the role uh, because Brad Burr was just mesmerized by his soft-spoken, but still powerful performance in the short film multifacial. Mm, Well, Brad certainly has a type. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and speaking of Vin Diesel, uh, not counting groans and grunts, the giant has a total of 53
1: words in the entire film. I got to say from a voiceover perspective, Vin Diesel is the smartest man in the world. He really is. To be able to get roles like the Iron Giant and Groot, and to have these very specific voice requirements for a character, and still be able to deliver on that, and to sound like a giant all the time, (laughs) it's great. It's really great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Respect. Honest respect.
0: And we actually have a lot more fun facts. Uh, I actually stumbled across a mini 20-minute featurette, uh, and it is on our Twitter, at Flashback Flicks. If you want to watch it, it's hosted by Vin Diesel, uh, pre-Fast and the Furious Vin Diesel, and he
1: is just having the
0: time of his life. So it's definitely worth a
1: watch. I imagine pre-Fast and the Furious Vin Diesel, it just his normal voice is much higher. <laughs> like, hey, guys, it's Vin Diesel. <laughs> You may recognize me from the Iron Giant. Let's show you how we made the movie. <laughs> All right. So now we're going to go ahead
0: and go into our reactions. So, Grayson, when was the last,
1: maybe even first time, that you watched this movie? The first and last time I watched this movie was roughly 20 hours ago. So you,
0: you never saw it growing I up. never
1: saw it. This is one of those that I always meant to get around to seeing, but I had been told like oh well, Iron Giant. Like prepare yourself. Like, pre- like that's what everybody prepare yourself. And so I knew that there was that it was a highly emotional movie. So I, I was prepared there. Um, I indeed prepared myself, and I, I delivered on that. I, it was incredibly emotional. What I was not prepared for was how stunningly beautiful the animation was, and I was expecting. I don't know that, not not to rag on it, but I was expecting um, the style of animation of, like, all dogs go to heaven. Mm-hmm. Rougher around the edges. Uh, I was not expector- expecting the kind of rendering that uh, went on in this. I-, I was blown away. From the title sequence, I was blown away. Like, the way they show space, the lightning through the clouds, the depth that they're going through. They're pulling focus shots in an animated film in the 90s. And I uh, that, that is hand drawn nonetheless, for the most part, I, I was, uh, floored by the technical aspects of this movie. The story is solid. And I knew the story was solid, uh, going into it just from reactions of other people. Um, so I, I, this was one of those that I didn't have to be nervous about, uh, it delivering on that experience. So I had a great time watching it. Uh, I definitely want to see it again. Um, kind of knowing where it's going now. I think it'll be a different experience, but I'm glad I finally got around to seeing it. Um, My only regret is that I didn't watch it when it first came out, but in all fairness, the times were hand-drawn and the three looked like an eight.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I, I remember this movie and I'm pretty sure I owned it because I remember having, like I said, the VHS's came with a tiny little mini Iron Giant, and I knew I owned it. Um, and I also um, remember the little dent in his head mm. being a thing, because I think, I, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, I remember thinking, oh, so he has a similar origin story to Goku. Uh, so in the Spectacular Edition uh, on blu-ray they have all these different extra features including um some deleted scenes of the giant on their home planet um oh, and it was interesting and basically or on a planet basically the giant was a series a part of like basically cybermen that were like a planet destroyers um mm. and somehow he was sent to earth in Dragon Ball not Dragon Ball Z but the original Dragon Ball Goku Um, is part of a race called the Saiyans. And basically, they are sent to different planets to basically just like conquer planets. That's their job. Be planet conquerors. Uh, But Goku got bopped on his head, (laughs) and he became real dumb and real good. And so then he became the defender of Earth. Um, And I was like, oh, that's kind of like Iron Giant. Dragon Ball and Iron Giant. But the whole thing is, is that he... I think the thing that we are supposed to get, especially from the flashback, is that he defected and that he fled from, like, destroying whatever planet he was actively destroying.
1: Yeah. For Overwatch fans, it's very similar to the uh, Bastion uh, cinematic, where he kind of gets rewired and has these flashbacks to, like, violent times occasionally. Um, Very, very similar. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, um, but yeah, I remember all those things, and it was a really
0: good movie, and I, I don't remember it being as sad, um, but I definitely remember, like, being really happy at the end when, spoiler, his little
1: body starts, like, beeping again. I have to say, since we're already just digging into spoilers, and I've never cared about that for three years, um... (laughs) I was preparing myself for a line to be said. So this movie, I've been saying this more and more frequently, but this movie more than most, the setups and payoffs are incredible. Every scene somehow influences a later scene. Nothing is wasted. In an animation, you don't have the luxury of wasting anything. So it makes sense why the script would be so tight. But the whole scene about... uh, like a soul can never die and that he's contemplating that he has a soul. I was like, don't you dare say that line again at the end. Like, don't, don't lean down when the kid's like, don't do it. Please don't go and say the line souls never die. Like, like I will lose it, but they have more skilled writers who don't have to say it. They just imply it. Yep. And we feel it even more because of it. Yeah. They really pulled a Laura Croft Tomb Raider opening (laughs) sequence and just let the action speak for itself.
0: In fact, that was the pitch that Brad Bird had to Warner Brothers. He said, what if a gun had a soul and didn't want to be a gun? I was like,
1: oh. He said, his pitch was, you know, Laura Croft Tomb Raider, that (laughs) opening sequence (laughs) Mm -hmm. where they don't say anything? Imagine that the hero is that robot she's fighting. (laughs)
0: But yeah, watching it this time around, I I was able to hit all the emotional points. I don't think I got the uh, friendship part as deeply. I think when I was a kid, I saw it more as like, oh, he has like a pet robot. Because like the mom was like, oh, yeah. Oh, speaking of mom, Jennifer Aniston.
1: Yeah, yeah. Jennifer Aniston. Harry Connick Jr. Jr. That one guy who's in everything. Christopher McDonald. Yeah. Frasier's dad. Also, the second movie we reviewed where M. Emmett Walsh commands some kind of vehicle or vessel. Ah. Yeah. And this he's Earl Stutz, the uh kook, as Harry Connick Jr. refers to him as. Uh, in Wild Wild West, he is the train conductor. Nice.
0: 99 was Certainly a good year for him as a type. Sometimes I watch animated movies, and I think my the movies I'm the most impressed with are animated movies that don't need to be animated. Um, oh, yeah. Because I'm watching this movie, and I'm just like, this movie could have been live action. Like, they could have just done a live action movie of mm-hmm. this and a giant just be the animated part, and it would be phenomenal, but they chose to hand draw, animate all this other like it's traditional two D animation, and it's I'm just so impressed with it. Everyone felt real, the texture, the movements. There was there was I was looking for lines, and I'm just like he just looks like a per, like he looks like this character. Like I, yeah. I believe this character in real life just looks like this, and I was just really really impressed with it.
1: What I was impressed with that in an animated movie, the animation is so specific that they're able to watch an animated movie in their class and we can tell that it's supposed to be animated. Yeah. That's great.
0: Yeah. No, it was it was
1: super, super great. Everything's also very on theme of fear of the unknown. Oh my uh, god. That's played out in a couple of different ways. Um, and so the way they explore that it captures that feeling of the time Mm -hmm. um, from what I remember when I was a teenager in 1957. Yeah. mm -hmm.
0: I didn't know it was in 1957. Like if you don't Mm. get that title card up front, I, as a kid thought that, Oh, this is just a modern story. Um, Get
1: a camera phone kid.
0: (laughs) Uh, I was just like, yeah, man, it, it just makes sense. You know, making, calls on the home phone and trying to bring an animal into an establishment without you know the health code people coming in and shutting it
1: down yeah because in 1957 having squirrels in restaurants was okay
0: (laughs) that's one of the biggest things i didn't realize was a huge part of it was like the cold war being Mm. so fresh um, yep. In people's minds and it would make sense for this giant monster to pop in and also it points to this era of monster movies uh, like the even the poster the original promotional poster was in was very reminiscent to the monster movies like it, it just in big text on the top it says it came from outer space. And everyone's just reacting to the Iron Giant running through the streets and the sensational kind of B
1: type uh, 50s sci fi films. Yeah. The one, like the kind he's watching. Exactly. Yeah. One thing I was really impressed about was the character design of the giant himself because he's fairly simple. Like he's not an overly, con- until he transforms, he's not an overly complicated character design. But. One, he has the appearance of friendliness for most of it because the way his jaw is constructed, it looks like a constant grin. And the circular nature of his eyes make him feel curious and like open to uh, like being friendly and things like that and until again he like switches over. But what amazes me is that with such a simple design, the silhouette test on this character still holds up to the point where you see the Ready Player One trailer and you know that that is not just a giant robot. You know that is the robot from Iron Giant. Yep. And that's huge. I mean, you have to have that with the characters. I'm looking here on IMDb with like related films and stuff, Nightmare Before Christmas is there where you see Jack's silhouette. And you're like, you know that is Jack Skellington from a distance, you can tell. Same thing with the Iron Giant. And that's how you create these iconic characters. It blows my mind that this was not once people clued into how amazing it was that that wasn't just like exploited like crazy uh, to be just a never ending series of films. Because that when you have a character design like that, it's so powerful because well, to put it crassly. For merchandising, like <laughs> oh, you yeah. can you can put that silhouette on a shirt. You know exactly what that is. You can package that toy, and it can be close, and people still know what it is. You can have like these weird CVS style <laughs> knockoff Iron Giant toys, and people be like, "Yep, yeah, I know exactly uh, what this is supposed to be." And that's not easy to do. Yeah. Uh, character designers work very hard to get to that point, and I. Just looking at every detail, even the the dent in the head. That's such a specific detail. It doesn't have to be huge, but just that little dent. Even if there was a fight of, like, 50 of the different Iron Giants, you would know that is the character I care about because he's got a little dent in his head. You'd be able to tell. Uh, just great design all around. Well said.
0: Ah, oh, gosh, there's a, there is a good transition. I just need to find it. Speaking of a dent in the head... <laughs> That's the one. Headcanon. Headcanon is a part of the show where we share with you unique ideas about the movie and Untold stories based on evidence provided by the film. Now, my biggest piece of headcanon has to do with an Easter egg that definitely ties Brad Bird mm-hmm. and another project that he worked on together. Go ahead and do it. Uh, So the train... Um, conductors who uh, basically uh, hit the Iron Giant and were like, oh, man, like, you're not going to believe this. It was just a giant metal man, uh, which I thought was interesting. They never said robot. They never said robot. That was hmm. very interesting to me. But anyway, he, those two guys are animators from Disney. Uh, they are modeled after Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnson. Uh, and they were two of Brad Bird's mentors during his early years at Disney. Those exact same character models make another appearance in The Incredibles. Oh,
1: yeah. They're
0: the guys who say, "Ah, oh, you see that? Old school. Yeah, that's old school. I was like, <laughs> "Uh, what? And so, headcanon, same universe.
1: Yeah. Iron Giant just takes place in Maine and... Incredibles takes place in Chicago. They're only five years apart Yep, in the timeline. Mm-hmm. Incredibles takes place in uh, 1962 and Iron Giant in 1957. So it would make sense that they could be the exact same characters. They're like, we're tired of living in a city where people keep messing with the train tracks. We're going to move to a city <laughs> where people just lift trains. So, my headcanon is largely related to uh, the fact that I'm overexposed to Marvel at the moment, Uh, reading the comics, watching the movies, and playing the games, so everything is running through a Marvel filter for me at the moment. But, my headcanon is that this is a multiverse world in the Marvel Universe. Um, I, I know WB made it, and this is like the biggest slap in the face, but... It fit. Superman? Super Captain America. <laughs> but it it, it seemed to, to fit for me. So the idea behind this multiverse is that instead of having uh, the independent heroes of Iron Man and Captain America and Thor, these uh, hints at elements of their stories all center around Hogarth. Um, that he is uh, kind of like the, the the center hero of this universe. So in a world without heroes, um, except for maybe the Incredibles, he uh, kind of takes their place and has echoes of these previous stories. So um, the closest that you could tie Hogarth to would be a Tony Stark type character. Which would mean by adoption, Dean is basically a Howard Stark type character that just never applied... His ability to manipulate uh, like metal and all these things to 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 craft uh, for the military. It's more of like what happened if he was separate from it. Even the the general is very similar to the Tommy Lee Jones type character that we see in Captain America. Um, so the idea is that Hogarth grows up after the events of Iron Giant to be a Tony Stark type, where he's smart, he's inventive, he has uh, the like his adopted father's shoes to uh, to fill. And he, in honor of his fallen friend, creates a suit of armor very similar to the one of the Iron Giant. Hogarth himself becomes the Iron Man. And this is his origin story to why he did it. Um, to uh, connect it to another Marvel property, uh, just so happens that the giant in this multiverse is the one who freezes over on ice instead of Steve Rogers so that when Hogarth grows up and becomes Iron Man, he uses his technology to seek out any remnant of his friend that he had when he was a kid, which tracks him to the ice and he is able to free the giant from captivity, uh, probably in modern day if it's a full-grown Hogarth. So, Um, that's kind of the the echoes of Captain America there that uh, uh, a project from the past is now unfrozen from the ice and then reunited with Iron Man in the present. There is also one more element that connects Thor into this and that is the presence of the destroyers from Thor that we, you said in deleted scene that we see them on other worlds and things like that. I believe that in this multiverse the iron giant is one of the destroyers from asgard and comes to uh this planet for the same purpose of the destroyers but uh through the hit on the head and all that it, it's reprogrammed but when uh, the iron giant's freaking out and like walking through the city it's just like when the destroyer walks through the new mexico town in thor and so Uh, That connects uh, Iron Man with Echoes of Captain America uh, preserved to the present uh, with a possible enemy uh, from the Thor universe, bringing in uh, Asgard as a possible threat that more of these will come. I also believe that uh, you could, if you believe in in everything that kind of set up that multiverse, um... That when Hogarth is developing the Iron Man materials, let's say he found, uh, like, one of the bolts that didn't make it all the way back, and he uses that to try to make a new Iron Giant, uh, not one that he wears, but one that can basically he can teach, and it'll be his friend again. He uses that kind of technology. It's very possible that Hogarth would accidentally create an Ultron. Uh, so... <sighs> From these events of wow. Iron Giant, you can create the the multiverse echoes that typically happen throughout the the Marvel universes, universe I, Un- mm-hmm. universe uni- universe C, um, I heard and that it nailed it first take best take, <laughs> uh, and to where? But this is this is the origin story for that universe that uh, kind of collapses multiple origin stories onto one hero, uh, which in this case would be Hogarth.
0: That's impressive.
1: And then with your headcanon, it would have been really easy to do a crossover. Like if this wasn't WB, if this had been a Disney property, uh, it would have been so easy to do that kind of crossover and have the, the Incredibles have to be brought in to fight this, this Ultron or this horde of Asgardian destroyers or iron giants. Like, the the possibilities could have been huge, but so much happens in this movie uh that could set up uh for infinite storylines in the future. And yeah. I do mean infinite. Ooh, I see what you did there, Finney Stones, April. Uh
0: yeah, I my last little bit of headcanon uh just does tie it into you know, Pacific Rim. Um so Oh yeah. <laughs> So, the whole premise of Pacific Rim, uh, not to be confused with Pacific Rim Uprising in theaters uh, very soon. The original Pacific Rim is all about how monsters um, came from the sea, bringing with them an all-consuming war. And to fight the kaiju, mankind developed giant robots. It's mm-hmm. called Jaggers. Um, piloted Excuse by humans. Me? This, at the other. <laughs> um, so, I don't think... like sure human smart why not i think that like the first guess the first thing to do isn't to create a giant robot to fight a giant monster humans most likely would just be like well what if we just made a giant gun or whatever i think that the iron giant was part of a I mean, I think everything that happened happened in the same timeline that set their technology forward several years. Uh, So with Iron Giant being in existence and people seeing, oh, this giant robot creature really was here. I think the government probably started working on their own version of that that then led to them to try to improve that later on. Mm, Uh, Like a giant patriot. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. (laughs) Uh, mm-hmm. I like that. I, I'm not sold on the name. Um but, but but War but some... Giant. You're getting there. You're getting there. Some kind Giant of Giant
1: Buster. Ooh, yes. How Just a... name him Buster? <laughs> hey Buster. He certainly was. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, but yeah, that, that's my headcan, is that it uh it happens in world with Pacific Rim. All right. Now it's time for us to collect are appendages for to make something completely new with recast remakes recast remake all right if this movie were to be made today
1: Grayson who would you cast mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. what would the storyline be so if this movie were made today mm-hmm. I would try to do it live action to be honest i I don't necessarily want to see this 3D rendered. I, I like the the way that it was produced here. So I'd want something pretty radically different, which would be probably a live-action adaptation. But I would cast everybody that did the voice from nice. the, the animated version. I think that'd be a really interesting experiment. Uh, and I wouldn't even 3D render the giant. It would just be Vin Diesel, <laughs> Wizard of Oz style. Like with a miniature? <laughs> yep. Yeah, he has shot in perspective. Everyone else is at a distance, and he's just this Gandalf figure in the front. Yeah,
0: I would also like to see it live action. Um, I would really... um, I have two different versions. Um, One version is, because you said Gandalf, I immediately thought of uh, (laughs) Elijah Wood um, (laughs) as Hogarth. Um, sure. So I just, I want Elijah, uh, but I want them to do what they did with a uh, Captain America. Just like put Elijah Wood's face on the kid's body. Or
1: like Tom Thumb from the greatest showman. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. Just put his head on kid's body. I think he'd be really expressive. <laughs> so that, but yeah, I really do think that it would do so well as a, uh, Netflix series. Um, mm. I would love it. And I, animated. If I so that's my other version. I would love it to be an animated Netflix series where it's about this kid and his giant robot and all the life lessons that they learn um yeah. and also the trouble that they kind of tend to get into. Like do you remember I remember when I used to watch Cartoon Network, they had a Godzilla show, like a cartoon show. Um, and literally, the theme, so here's what they did to make it like kid friendly it was like Godzilla would come in, like dun, 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 to Godzilla, dun, 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 to Godzilla, and then Godzilla had this adorable little like cherub of a baby. and <laughs> The theme song was like,
1: and Godzuki. Oh man, <laughs> I do uh, not remember <laughs> that.
0: It was. An old show. Um, I want to say it came out in the... Yep, I pulled it up. Godzilla, Godzuki cartoon. It came out in 1978. Aired on NBC. And it was co-produced with Hanna-Barbera. It would basically be that. I could imagine
1: it being that. Wow. So, was it... Godzilla's baby, or was it like a Scrappy do situation, and it was his nephew or something?
0: I want to say yes. It was like a nephew kind of thing. Oh. Um,
1: I and don't remember the name of the, the baby. Godzuki. Godzuki. That I thought that was when you have ice cream on a cookie cake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I will have the Godzuki, please. <laughs> Godzilla just walks in holding Godzuki and a Pazuki. <laughs> One
0: of these will melt down an entire city block. And the others, so a Godzuki.
1: <laughs> Fresh out of the oven. I think it would be really interesting if this was done claymation. Uh, oh. Like one of the new claymation styles. But so that you're not just rehashing the old thing. Seeing reactions to the Iron Giant in different points in time. Uh, because, like we said, the Cold War is what fueled a lot of the hostility towards this giant. It'd be interesting to see how they would react to him in the distant past, in the future. You could, you could take a couple of different angles from it. Like, if it landed in, uh, like Camelot times, you'd be able to, oh yeah, like use it as a weapon to just knock down castles and things like. Like, there's just so many possibilities that that you could do and since it comes from space you can easily justify any kind of time jumps nice it's easy it's so (laughs) easy uh but no it'd be interesting to see the the same character in different points in time yeah no i'd love to see it like that great genre
0: all right so now we're going to go into our final segment where we give you our reasons to recommend so grayson why would you recommend the iron giant
1: It really is just a heartfelt and beautiful story that um, I I wish I had seen sooner. And so if you haven't seen it, sorry we spoiled it. (laughs) But you should still go see it. Like, I went into it when people are like, prepare yourself, prepare yourself. That can only mean a couple of things in a movie, especially an animated movie, where you know they're not going to kill the kid, and you know that the giant isn't from here and takes place in the fifties. And you probably haven't seen it around in modern times. So you kind of do the math as to like what's going to happen, but you still are impacted by the, the arc of the movie. I I, I was super impressed. The art direction is beautiful. The story is beautiful. So to me, that this movie really hits on all levels. And if you haven't seen it in a while, see it again. If you haven't seen it at all, really please go see this. Um, it's, I, I don't think we've said this on the podcast, which is amazing for what this podcast is. They don't make movies like this anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, It hit at a very special time between 2d and 3d. Um, I believe they make movies with the same kind of emotional resonance, but to have the beauty of the art support the beauty of the story. So completely, it's a very special film.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I, I totally agree. This movie is so good. Um, if you haven't seen it um, in a long time, like if you remember from your childhood, it's so worth a rewatch because the thing that I really understood, especially um, with the world as it is, um, it's really cool to see a really like hard life experience um like uh, dealing with you know war and violence and weapons and things like that but just told so simply uh through a kid story uh and like i've said before this movie could have easily been live action but it's mm-hmm. the animation adds so much more to it um and it's just heartwarming um and it's heartwarming because of how honest and simple it is Uh, i'd recommend this movie because it is so sweet um i cried twice (laughs) watching the movie i felt for the giant you feel for the giant um and vin diesel just needs to stop being a giant beloved character that sacrifices himself and makes me cry because of it and
1: yet somehow lives on in spirit right Yeah, he certainly has a contract. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so
0: that is our review of the Iron Giant. Let us know what you remember about the Iron Giant on Twitter. We are at Flashback Flicks. Um, And also, be sure to check out on Twitter. We have that video, the -the behind-the-scenes featurette that we talked about there. Um, And also, oh, no, too many calls to action. So sorry. Um, Let us know. What you would do if
1: you discovered a giant iron? I forgot what it was called. Actually, giant I- iron is the name of the Monopoly movie that they're making. <laughs> so you, whole series, giant top hat, giant thimble. You don't just one just called Race Car.
0: You don't make a Monopoly without buying all the railroads. <laughs> Um, but, yeah, let us know what you, what you would do if you had an Iron Giant for a day. More specifically, the Iron Giant for a day. Uh, let us know on Twitter. We'd love to have the conversation there. It would also really help us if you left a review on Apple a Podcast. Leave us a rating on a scale of 1 to 5 dents in the head. So, 5 dents in the head is a good thing? 5 dents in the head is the best thing. Oh. And be sure to tune in next time right here on the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast. Until then, remember to be kind and rewind. Next time on the Flashback Flicks Retro Movie Podcast, we're going to review one movie about a ready player. Tron, baby Tron. Oh, I thought it was Casanova. (laughs) And then, if we have enough time, we'll
1: also review Tron with the Wind. Oh, yeah. And Tron Girl. (laughs) Is he playing a game? Is he not playing a game? All we know is it's mind games. (laughs) Just find a movie that has gone, replace it with Tron, and we're doing that. Yep.